Hi everyone, I'm Alex. Welcome to the Hello My Tribe podcast. I started Hello My Tribe two years ago because I was desperate for community support and understanding as a new mom. Now with all of you, motherhood just keeps getting better and better. Weekly, I'll be sitting down with real everyday moms who have a story to share, as well as innovative leaders and experts. Nothing is off limits on our podcast. We dig deep and we get personal. Through these conversations, we hope to bring our two big beliefs to life. First, that guilt-free self-care is a necessity. And second, that motherhood is a team sport. And we hope that our time with you inspires and energizes a healthy and happy life for you and your family. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Jessica Rockowitz. Jessica is a new friend of mine whom I adore. She has a unique motherhood experience, being a teen mom and going to college and grad school with her baby and then toddler. On the professional side of things, Jessica is a former OBGYN nurse educator. She has now taken her deep love for expecting mothers, newborns, and families into a marketing, photography, and branding career. She's also now a mom to three, a teenage daughter and two younger boys. And I also want to mention that Jessica helps Hello My Tribe on many projects here and there, and I'm so grateful. So Jessica, take me to the beginning of your motherhood journey and where it all started. Well, first, I want to thank you so much for having me. It is honestly an honor to be here on your podcast. Um, And I love what you're doing, and it's incredible. Um, So my motherhood journey was definitely not off to a traditional start, as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, In fact, it was a terrifying experience, you know, being a teen. I found out that I was pregnant pretty much right after I turned 17. It was actually a couple weeks after my 17th birthday. Wow. Um, It was definitely unexpected. You know, I had huge plans for myself. I was set on college. I wasn't sure yet what I wanted to major in, but I knew I wanted to go to school. I knew I wanted to go to grad school. So it kind of derailed those plans for me in my mind because I was transported to this place where I'm like, how am I going to raise a child and take care of a child when I haven't even, you know, finished high school myself and I don't even have an income or a home to support this child outside of, you know, I was living with, of course, my mom. Um, My dad had passed away when I was a teenager. So it was just me and my mom. You know, I have siblings, but they're they're older than I am. So they have been out of the house for a while. Um, so it was just a really scary time. I knew my mom, who was also a teen parent with my sister, would, have, would be very disappointed in me. So of course, you know, I did what any normal teenager would do, which was hide it, which was the worst idea ever. How long did you hide it for? Well, my mom is very, very intuitive. So I wanted to, my plan was to just hide it for like six months, which Mm -hmm. is ridiculous now that I look back. But I was able to get away with it for a few weeks. And the reason being, because my mom would check in with me about once a month when she went grocery shopping and be like, so do you need tampons? Mm. You need pads? Need me to grab your birth control? Me, not being very sly, was like, oh, no, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm stocked from last month. (laughs) So she was pretty on to me right from the beginning. Yeah. Um, I also think, you know, I was really close with my sister. My sister is 14 years older than me. um, And she, I will get more into that, but she was my rock throughout that time. And I think that she told my mom, which I'm grateful for because I would have done the same thing, Mm -hmm. you know, but I confided in her initially. She was actually the one that took me to Planned Parenthood to get a test. Mm -hmm. Um, And when it was positive, you know, she cried. And she was also a teen parent. And she's like, you do not want this life. This is not what, this is what I, your mom said or your sister? My sister. Okay. She's just said, you know, I, I don't want this for you. It, it was such a hard path. Mm-hmm. And this is not what I would wish upon you. 
Um, and I didn't understand that. Like, I didn't get it at the time. Um, I was the youngest, so I had never been around babies. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know what kind of care they required. I didn't know anything. So I was pretty naive. And I kind of went into this thinking, okay, this is going to be really hard, but I can do it, right? Like, it's it can't be that big of a deal. And it was, you know, of course. Um, motherhood is kind of a slap in the face no matter where you are mm-hmm. in it, whether you're married and older and prepared as much as you can be or whether you're young. In some ways, I actually think I was more resilient when I was younger um, than I am now. I you're am- not the first person to tell me that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it could go either way, right? You could be more prepared because you're older or you're so stuck in your ways when you're older that it's it's hard to then integrate a baby into it versus exactly when you're you know much younger. It's like, this is it. We're going with it. Exactly. And I actually sat down to think about this the other day, and I realized that I've been parenting for almost half my life in a way. Wow, yeah. It's crazy. It's just part of who I am. Like, motherhood is part of me. There was no me before motherhood. Right. And that's what I think is very interesting. Um But yeah, I mean, I naively thought it would be, you know, not so big of a deal. And slowly, um, once my mom found out, you know, it was a good thing. It was positive. I think she was really, really upset and unsupportive at first, which, of course, you know, who wouldn't Mm. be? Um, I know she was it came from a place of love where she was just really disappointed in me um, because she has always you know, been a really big cheerleader for me and told me like, you're so intelligent, you can do whatever you want. This is what I want for you. She wanted for me what she did not have. Mm -hmm. And this also her family was, you know, on her shoulder saying, Oh, you're going to be raising this baby, you know, you're going to have another one to raise. And she's like, No, I'm not Jessica will figure it out. So Mm -hmm. I have to give her a ton of credit. um, Because from day one, she has been, you know, she's always told me that she believed that I could do it. Mm hmm. So, you know, one of the things we talked about was what would my college experience look like? Mm -hmm. So when I found out I was pregnant, I actually graduated high school a semester early. Um, I ended up going to my high school and saying, hey, here's my situation. I need to I would like to be done earlier because I didn't want to be going to classes, you know, super pregnant. Yeah. It just wasn't something I was comfortable with. So they allowed me to finish high school online. And simultaneously, while I finished high school online, I took four courses at a community college. So I actually was taking like nine courses at once. While you're pregnant. While I was pregnant. Damn, girl. I know, (laughs) which is crazy, but it like wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, Probably because I didn't have any kids. Like I'm so used to juggling things with kids now. Back then, you know, you didn't really have anyone else. So Mm -hmm. I finished high school, had some college courses under my belt. um, And then I ended up going to school through a program that's still around today. I think it looks very different than it did when I was there, Mm -hmm. but I have to highlight this program because it's incredible. Um, It's through Endicott College, which is Mm -hmm. in Beverly, Massachusetts. And essentially, they had eight spots at this traditional four-year private college for single parents, Mm -hmm. Um, single being defined as unmarried, um, under the age of 25. I believe Mm -hmm. it was 18 to 25. So you were permitted to live on campus with your kids. Um, we The kids received a free dining meal plan. You received tons of grants wow. from the school. Um, and the coolest thing was childcare. So now it looks a little different. But when I was there, we were allowed to choose any childcare center in the area to send our children within their budget. And their budget was very generous. So mm-hmm. Haley had incredible care mm-hmm. um, from day one. And she went to a little preschool in the town. It was so sweet. I, it's still there. Love it so much. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it was really great because we had that support. And then we also had monthly meetings to check in. 
with um, the the president of the school as well as the director of the program. But the issue is I think now the school doesn't have a director and they're kind of in this transitional phase. Hmm. But when I was there, all my professors knew about Haley, my daughter, and they were very supportive. I mm-hmm. mean, she had to come to class with me sometimes. There was one semester where I had to miss 23 classes. I'll never forget that number because she was so sick. Oh, my gosh. And so some of it, I remember distinctly, like, me meeting with a professor about work I had missed and some sort of essay with her, like, totally f- like febrile and exhausted on my lap as I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. like half <laughs> listening. She was like two or three. Um, and it was it was crazy. It was just madness. And there were times when I remember calling my mom and just being like, I cannot do this like this. What what was I thinking? This is the worst idea ever. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I am such a planner and such a like long term person. I look at big goals and then I get overwhelmed. So when I broke it down to the day to day, like here's my calendar. What's due tomorrow? What's due Friday? I was able to kind of rein in myself here. Yeah. But overall, I mean, people ask me all the time, like, how did you get through school raising a child? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. You just kind of do it. Like, right. you're, you're just kind of handed things in life and you just kind of face them and deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, because let me tell you right now at age 31, that sounds terrible. And I probably <laughs> wouldn't make it. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Well, and I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you ended up having a pretty good support system. Like your mom came around. Yes. Your sister, it sounds like she was your rock. Yes. Um, now your husband, who was yes. your husband, he was around. Yep. Um, and you found this amazing school program. I did. And for sure. And my sister actually, so my sister was living in Arizona um, when I was in school and she would take Haley for me for finals. And so wow. that was so helpful. Like she was definitely big part of the reason that I succeeded and I will always be grateful to her for that yeah um I really needed help those first few years and actually you know what's funny is I spent a lot of time at her house when Haley was was born Mm -hmm. and I remember when Haley was really young like I would stay there even for like a week or two at a time Mm -hmm. and her husband who is the nicest man never even complained and I look back now as an adult and I'm like can you just imagine your (laughs) Your um, spouse's sibling with their new baby just rolling on in for like weeks at a time. Yeah. You know, that's very disrupting. Yeah. Um, and she they had their own daughter and they always were so gracious to me and helped me. Yeah. And I am just floored, like looking back, like it's such a big part of, mm-hmm. I think, why I was able to succeed is they were really big um, factors for that. And the school itself was really supportive and I mean, they had everything in place for parents to succeed as much as they could. Like, you had to do the work. You had to put in the time. You had to want it. But if you wanted it, they were there to really help you flourish. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, that was a huge part of success, too, for me and for the other parents who were part of the program. Mm -hmm. So obviously, a baby did not stop you from continuing your education. And you've mentioned to me, like, you actually had a college experience because you were able to live on campus. Right. Your friends sometimes babysat. You went out and partied. Yes. Like, but you were also a really good mom. And I just, Jessica, I just love that. Well, thank you. Yeah. And then you're, you know, you continued pursuing your dreams. You went on to grad school at an Ivy League. I did. So tell me a little bit about that. So I was kind of raised, and this is kind of like circling back to where I am now and being an entrepreneur. I was not raised in a culture of entrepreneurs. In the East Coast, Mm -hmm. it's not like that there. It's very, 
um, much centered around, okay, so you need to go to an Ivy League school or as great of a school as you can get into Mm -hmm. and obtain as many degrees as you can. You need to be a doctor or a lawyer in finance, banking, whatever it is. Um, That's what's kind of valued there. Mm -hmm. It's not really a thing to do your own thing. Um, So being, you know, in photography, for example, like that is something I don't know anybody back home Mm -hmm. of my classmates who pursued that path. They all went on to big things with the corporate world and Mm -hmm. that sort of deal. So that was initially what I was taught to do. And that's what I set to do. So I had always wanted to do marketing, but I was told to by a sibling of mine who is in marketing that it's not a good path. You know, it's grueling and not doesn't pay well and you know the world does not need more people in marketing are those were his exact words he told me when I was in college so I switched to biotechnology thinking okay I'll pursue medicine or healthcare so that's what I graduated with um, at my bachelor's in biotechnology and then from there I you know thought well, maybe I'd do medical school maybe I would do a PhD so I actually worked at Harvard Stem Cell Institute after college. And this was the beginning of the end for me in the sense of my poor mother, probably like I gave her so much gray hair because I would land these really wonderful jobs. And then I just six months in couldn't do it anymore. I was just either bored or unentranced or just disheartened. And Mm -hmm. I always thought up until like last year, something was wrong with me. Like what is wrong with me that I can work so hard and pursue things. But when it came to like Working in an office or other setting Mm. nine to five, day in, day out, like I just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know that yet. So when I worked at Harvard in stem cell research, it was pretty lonely. Like I remember I had to go in on Christmas Day to culture cells. And Mm. that's fine, but it wasn't anything that I loved doing. I mean, it was from the outside looked like I was super successful. You know, I had landed a great job. Um, My mom was super proud of me. But I wasn't happy. And that's began my whole journey of finding what it would be that made me happy and defining, you know, what it is that I wanted to be, especially as now as a parent. Um, And it wasn't that. So I decided then to do a second degree nursing program. And that's what I did. Um, And I applied to several schools and I chose the University of Pennsylvania. Um, It was the number one nursing school in the country at the time. I wonder if it still is, but it was fantastic. Like Mm -hmm. their nursing program is absolutely incredible. And I did the BSN MSN program and I specialized thereafter in OBGYN. um, And I did more health education and that entailed meeting with expecting moms. I was really passionate about wanting to work with teen parents if I could. Mm-hmm. So my the, the job I would have designed for myself would, ha- would have been working exactly how I was. And I did get to do that. So after I received my degree, I worked in downtown Philadelphia at a resident-run clinic. It was a low-income clinic. I believe it's still there. And it's it was incredible. Like the residents were fantastic. Really loved them. Um, and these were teen moms? They were. It's a population of um, low-income moms that a big mm-hmm. percentage of them were teen moms. Okay. So it wasn't necessarily just for teen moms, but it was a Medicaid, primarily Medicaid clinic for mm-hmm. um, low-income expecting moms. I loved my patients so much. Like, I can't even tell you how fantastic they were. And my job entailed, you know, a lot of health education, um, prenatal, postpartum, But it's disheartening. Like you get, you kind of see where our system is broken when you're in that world. Mm -hmm. One of the the reasons that I used to 
you know, used to keep me up at night would be that we were taught that we had to educate moms on postpartum depression and Mm -hmm. baby blues. Mm -hmm. So I had a pamphlet I gave them at a 36-week mark of their pregnancy. I told them the signs to look for. We talked about what to do if they felt those signs. And Mm -hmm. it was, you know, calling us and that we would help them. Mm -hmm. And then I saw the other side of that. And it was when they did call us and there wasn't anything we could truly do besides Mm -hmm. sending them to the emergency room or there was an inpatient facility down the street. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it wasn't because of the people there because they cared a ton about these moms, Um, but it was just our system. Like there wasn't much in place to help them. And these were very vulnerable patients who didn't have the support that a lot of moms have as new parents. You know, they have four or five kids at home. Mm. They don't have, you know, um, the financial resources to have like a postpartum doula mm-hmm. or, you know, anyone to come watch their kids. And it's it was really hard. And I loved what I did, but I just didn't feel like it was the right fit, especially for me now being a mom of two at the time. My son, Colin, who's now four and a half, was, you know, almost two. Mm -hmm. And I just felt this calling to be with him more. You Mm -hmm. know, I never got to be with Haley on a full-time basis. And that was something that, you know, I wished I had more flexibility. You know, she was at school full-time because I had to, you know, receive my education. And we were kind of at a point, my husband and I looked at each other and I was like, you know, I'm really wondering what it would be like if I was home and kind of maybe did something on my own Mm -hmm. because I loved writing and I thought, well, maybe I can be a freelance writer. And I actually started doing that while I worked full time just to see if I could do it. And I started out, you know, just making a little bit of money here and there. And it grew from there into marketing and social media consulting and branding. Um, But it just all started with that leap of faith to kind of leave that world. And it went against everything I was taught that I should do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always, you know, taught to obtain as many degrees as I could. And the whole Ivy League experience, which, by the way, so much debt. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter's like, I think I want to go to an Ivy League. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, please get a scholarship. Um, but So, Jessica, <laughs> I want to go back quickly mm-hmm. to teenage moms because you have also been an advocate for these women. Um, and you've, you know, gone out and spoke on behalf of teenage pregnancy. So, you know, most of us listening probably were not teenage moms, so we don't necessarily know a lot about that experience. So what do you think is, like, the most important thing for us listening to know about teenage pregnancy and, like, how we can support these young moms? I think the biggest thing is that we should not shame them. I mean, if we think back to our own high school experiences, Mm -hmm. I can't even tell you how many amazing friends of mine in college were like, you know what? That could have been me. There were many times that I wasn't super careful. Mm -hmm. Um, That could be any one of us. And just because, you know, we made the decision to have our children and raise our children doesn't mean that we deserve to be shamed for it. Um, And And you see a lot of shame. Oh, yeah. Especially there was a a few years ago, there was a campaign. um, I believe it was through the Candies Foundation. And it was a campaign that basically had advertisements uh, featuring Bristol Palin. And they were super shaming of teen moms. And it was so disheartening to see that. And Mm. they were very stereotyped, too. It was, you know, there was a crying baby in one advertisement um, that said something like, 
where is my dad? You know, what what am I going to do without my dad? Basically insinuating that if you're a teen parent, like their dad won't be around. And they gave the statistic like X percent of teen fathers don't stay with the mother. So what happens to me? And mm. things like that are kind of common in our culture. And people will see young moms and automatically just have this judgment. And it's still something I even face today when I meet people and they ask me they know about my boys Mm -hmm. but they're shocked to hear I have a 13 year old and then Mm -hmm. the next thing out of their mouth is really you don't look old enough to have a 13 year old yeah and some of them don't mean it in a disrespectful way and I always laugh and say you know what because I'm not you're right (laughs) (laughs) because I'm used to it and I roll with it not I don't want to say not normal but just unexpected Mm -hmm. yeah and I think a lot of stigma too surrounds that teenagers aren't capable of raising kids Mm. and I can honestly understand where that comes from because of course you want children to be born into stability Mm -hmm. and regardless of their marital status which I don't think should play that factor it's really financial like they haven't been through a higher education program to be able to support their kids things Mm -hmm. like that but you know what what happened to the whole village mentality so like how can we support them Mm -hmm. so i would ask you know i challenge people to ask them how they can feel supported Mm -hmm. Um, what do they need help with is it getting access to aid is Mm -hmm. it hearing about their school options and what kinds of schools around here would support them because i'm sure there are campuses in texas or any state that have childcare facilities um, to make it easier for parents, yeah. Um, or what kind of grants are available to them through the state in mm-hmm. order to receive help with childcare or, um, you know, FAFSA for their education? Mm-hmm. And basically, instead of having that eye-rolling, judging mentality of, oh, you know, can't believe that she has a child at whatever age. It's like that child is the future. Like they're the future. They are a citizen and they deserve to be uplifted just like any other mom. Just because you're 17 doesn't mean that you're immune to postpartum depression or anxiety or, you know, you don't not that you don't want a village. You know, I I had a village then, too. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important. And so my biggest thing is really making sure like parents know no matter how old they are how that they're supported and there are options for them mm-hmm. with whatever path they want to pursue um, whether that's working immediately or going to school there are definitely options and I think you know they should know them and yeah. ha- have people help them figure them yeah. out so your daughter Haley she's a teenager now she is she's 13 she's 13 so how does the conversation look with her I mean I'm nowhere near having the sex ed <laughs> conversation <laughs> I know it's Which, terrifying. Oh, my God. I mean, my son, he'll be four soon, and he's just now. No, I'm pretty sure he told me he saw my penis. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't have a penis. <laughs> like, we're we're just now starting to have those conversations, yes. right? So what does the conversation look like with Haley about, have y'all had any sort of, like, sex ed conversation? Oh, yes. So many. <laughs> and actually, I recommend doing it as early as possible. Okay. There is this series that I swear by. It's called It's Not the Stork. Okay. Um, and it starts at like five. How cute. So these are books you buy? Yep. And oh, I love it. three of them. And okay. so the first one starts at age five, and that's when we started. Um, okay. And we just kind of talked from there. I always wanted her to have appropriate vocabulary. Mm-hmm. I wanted her to know the whole good touch, bad touch, you mm. know, all of that. But as she's gotten older, I mean, it's very difficult because sometimes I she'll ask me questions about teen pregnancy Mm -hmm. and 
you know, it used to be tough because she'd say things to me like, oh, but I was an accident and I was a mistake. Mm. And that we had to change that vocabulary because I don't want her thinking of herself like that. Um, And where do you think she was getting that from? Probably just conversation and knowing that, Mm -hmm. you know, when people would ask me, oh, Mm -hmm. well, did you intend to do that? Because people (laughs) ask anything. Right. Um, I'm sure it's just things she picked up or maybe it's things people said to her when I wasn't around. Yeah. But yeah, she it was tough for me. And as she's gotten older and she asks, you know, age appropriate questions that are a little scary. Mm -hmm. um, It's definitely been a bit of a source of anxiety for me, but I try really hard to be very open and very transparent with her. I tell her when she is thinking that she's ready to have sex that I would appreciate if she approached me so we can make sure she's safe. Yeah. Um, And the biggest, biggest thing is for me that she knows that she should be with somebody who respects her Mm -hmm. um, and that it isn't a contest or a race, you know, to be one of the first ones in your school to you know, have certain milestones with sexual experiences or to have sex first because she has come to me and she's going to be in eighth grade um, Mm. after the summer. And she's said things like, oh, yeah, there are people in my school that have sex. (gasps) And so I have to be like, "Okay, deep breaths. (laughs) okay." And I'm like, so how do you feel about that? Because the other piece is I don't want to slut shame. I hate that so much. And you don't want to say, like, you're not allowed to do that because uh, teenagers then want to do the exact opposite. Exactly. And I don't want to shame girls that are doing that because that's just not the type of mentality I want to instill in her. I don't mm-hmm. want her to think of sex as something shameful yeah. um, or any sexual experience. Even if I think they're young to, to be doing something, like that's not my place to be like, oh my God, I can't believe that they're doing that. So I think I say to her, okay, so how do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. And she says, well, I think they're a little young. That's something I'm not ready for. And I'm like, I agree with you. Yeah. And we kind of move on from there because- I it's not my job to, you know, put specific thoughts in her head. I just want her to know that she's super supported and I want her to respect herself so much mm-hmm. to the extent where she views herself as, you know, a strong, wonderful young woman who when she is ready for that would wait to be with somebody who values her like she would value herself. And that's that. my biggest takeaway for, for teaching her sex ed, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> because let me tell you and our state, unfortunately, um, and actually our district is not as bad about it. I was surprised. Mm-hmm. It's very abstinence heavy. Yeah. And that's been really tough for me, too, being from Boston. Um, mm-hmm. It's not abstinence heavy in Boston. And so I kind of fill in those gaps. I ask her what she's learning. And, you know, we kind of go from there. Ugh. These are big things I haven't really thought about yet. So <laughs> thank you. Um, so there's a pretty you know, large age gap between Haley and then your second child. Yes. What's the age gap there? Nine years. Nine years. I will tell you that, you know, you know, my journey with motherhood, like I, if we have another, it will be a large age gap mm-hmm. like that. Who really knows though? But um, so what was your, your motherhood experience like then? I mean, you're nine years older. Yes. You're no longer in school. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So what was it like? It was night and day. Yeah. I describe it as it felt surreal to have a baby that was being celebrated because Mm. it wasn't like that with Haley. Um, And of course, my family came around and they they did celebrate her. Mm -hmm. Um, They were really great about that. But I don't blame them. I mean, initially, it was not something that's like, woo, yay, you're 17. This is great, Mm -hmm. you know. 
So when I was 26, I was 25 when I got pregnant with Colin, 26 when I had him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so different. It, even little things like registering for a baby shower and being able to choose like a nice stroller. I, I cannot even tell you. So he had, we had an up a baby Vista for him. Mm-hmm. And I agonized for months over which stroller to choose. I think just because like that was an experience I did not have. Mm. So all of Haley's gear that she had was hand-me-downs from my sister's friends. I didn't care what it was. I was like, great. Thank you so much. And you were also <laughs> 17, so you probably didn't even know nope. there were all these options. It's not like you could get in your car and just drive and buy something that cost $300. Exactly. Like, such a different experience. It was so different. And yeah. I was grateful for anything to be given to me. Right. And with this, you know, with this one, it was just this crazy different experience of being able to compare things and mm-hmm. look up what's you know the latest greatest gear and not just that but also feel adequately ready to handle the newborn stage which by the way no one ever is I guess <laughs> because it was still crazy yeah but I felt you know really excited and ready for it mm-hmm. um, whereas before I of course did not yeah. And so that was just a really different experience in and of itself. And Haley was really excited to be a big sister. Mm. Um, I think once they came, it was a different story because it's like, oh, this is not as fun as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And even now, she's so funny. She's like, you're not having any more kids, right? I'm like, no, <laughs> we're, we're not. Because it's got to be tough. I mean, she is nine and 11 years older than Colin and Graham. Right. So in a way, we have two sets of kids, um, which I love in some ways and in some ways it's challenging mm-hmm. um there are no family activities that really fit all of us and mm-hmm. poor Haley is usually on the ride to things like the thinkery or a kids mm-hmm. movie because the boys don't want to go shopping at the galleria for two hours mm-hmm. which is what she thinks is fun yeah um but we all like to swim so there's a great thing but yeah it's tough i mean it's it i love the age gap because i was so much more ready And I love that my two boys are two years apart, and that's what we wanted. I never grew up with a sibling close in age, and Mm -hmm. I was always really lonely. So I was really adamant about having them have that experience. Mm -hmm. And they're just now starting to interact with and play with each other. And just, I mean, I it melts my soul to see how they love each other and just even their interactions at the dinner table of like passing Mm -hmm. back and forth things and oh here Graham let me help you with that and how Colin takes care of him and Mm -hmm. you know that's something I yearned for as a kid yeah Um, I love that and I yeah so let's talk a little bit about postpartum stuff Mm -hmm. you know we keep hearing in the news like this celebrity and that celebrity they're talking about how they went through postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety and it's awesome they're bringing awareness to um, these experiences But I think it's even more powerful to hear the stories of like what's happening right now. What are the struggles and experiencing and experiences that we're going through like in this very moment? Um, Because it's a I don't want to say it's a little more real, but it's like, I guess, a little more relatable. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So for you, like, what was your postpartum journey like and what is it right now? So with Haley. I remember, surprisingly, I had the least postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And we learned in school that one of the biggest factors for postpartum depression, not that anyone can pinpoint who's going to get it, but Mm -hmm. there are risk factors, right? So one of the biggest risk factors is your postpartum support system. Right. Um, 
And so with Haley, I had a really good postpartum support system. I mean, don't get me wrong. I will never forget that on New Year's Eve. So she was born Christmas Day. Ah. On New Year's Eve, I had my friends stopped by, like all dolled up, looking so beautiful, ready to go out and hang out. And I was sitting there, you know, with my week old infant with like feeling terrible and sleep deprived. And I remember they came to visit me before they went out and they left and I just sobbed because I Mm. missed my old life. Like I missed not having a newborn and feeling frumpy and gross. Um, And that was tough. But overall, like my my support system was pretty solid. Mm -hmm. But fast forward to Colin and Graham, and it wasn't as solid, especially with Graham. Mm -hmm. So it was really challenging because we have I, ha- I think my in-laws are amazing. And so my mother-in-law came and stayed with us when we had Colin for, I think, a good week or so. Mm-hmm. And when she was there, I felt really good um, because Kyle and I, my husband, were able to really just concentrate on the baby, concentrate on resting. He would I remember he made me breakfast every morning and brought it upstairs while mm-hmm. I nursed the baby, just things like that. Um, but once she left... And we had other people come and help, and that was that was really good. But we never had like a postpartum doula um, mm-hmm. or anything like that. So I think it was really challenging for us because we don't have support close by. Like there are people that live near their parents, and even to this day, like that's our biggest source of stress as a as a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have support. Like mm-hmm. we, our families don't live near us. They, my my mother in law visits like every few months. But she only visits for like four days. It's right. not enough. Right. Um. But she has a life. You know, she works still, and they're not ready to retire yet mm-hmm. because they're still pretty young, which I can understand. So it just becomes that challenge. And I, especially with Graham, had super bad postpartum depression, like to the point where not only did I regret having him for a few weeks after Mm -hmm. but I just didn't even want to be a mom anymore like Mm -hmm. I felt like this bone deep just um regret for having a third and also just in general for for doing it closer in age Mm -hmm. that was pretty fleeting um and it stemmed from him having a tongue tie and screaming most of the time for Mm -hmm. a few weeks (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. that's tough and I'm obviously very thankful and glad that I had support to get through it, but it was it was pretty bad. Um, yeah. And I I've, I've had anxiety most of my life, and it really came to a head in 2011 when I was trying to figure out you know what I wanted to do for grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, it's kind of been pretty high, and it's gotten higher as the years go by. It's like as my life as I grow successfully with business, as I'm happier and I have great friends and life looks good, my anxiety climbs with it, hmm. which is interesting. You would think it would be the opposite, yeah. but it's not because I think I'm, I put more things on my plate and it stretches me thinner and thinner and thinner. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when does it become just anxiety and not postpartum anxiety, right? Because it's pretty much been hanging out for years now for me. So I'm lucky I have a really good primary care doctor. Shout out to her. <laughs> um, and she she and I have a, like a great plan to help me work through it. But yeah. it's hard. I don't think we as moms sometimes prioritize ourselves, especially when you have more than one child. And for us, two kids in very different stages, you know, mm-hmm. we're running around to middle school activities and, and uh, sleepovers and um, cheer while we also have like that really exhausting preschool toddler stage 
So it's kind of like we're very stretched with parenting and then I'm stretched professionally, but I love it. You know, I wouldn't change it. I love working. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's so important that when you are kind of in those the throes of postpartum or having anxiety, like you have that person that you can, you know, touch base with and say, look, this is what I'm going through. And you and I have kind of created a little relationship like that, you yeah. know, and I'm I'm just so thankful also because you know, being on both sides of it, like you, you learn something, you learn something about yourself, about your friend and, um, you know, to be able to be there for your friends who are going through something is so important. I agree. So Jessica, you and I offline have talked a little bit about like how we feel about our bodies postpartum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so thankful that you're willing to share a little bit uh, with us today because you're not alone in how you feel. And someone out there listening is going to find comfort in what you're, you know, you're saying and going through and feeling. So can you share a little bit about like the experience that you've had with food and your body? Yes. Um, yeah. I had a really good childhood. Um, I love both my parents a ton. Uh, however, they both had deep-rooted food issues um, that they passed on to me without really knowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad and my mom both were addicted to food and very much binge eaters. Um, a reason for that, I think, is because my mother is Mormon. And in the Mormon culture, they do not partake in things like drugs or alcohol so there aren't Mm -hmm. other vices and my dad actually did not drink either so for them like food was a big vice it was like a big part of my childhood and of their day-to-day even when we used to travel um it was always where are we going to eat what are we going to eat where are we going to go what time is the next meal it was a very food-centered childhood Mm -hmm. um and I think that also went hand in hand with my mom's family who being Mormon too, you know, with the whole food culture was very centered on body image. And I remember my entire life, my aunts, my grandmother, my mom, everyone would either, you know, praise you when you've lost weight and comment, oh, you look so small, you look so slim, your body, look, you've definitely been working on it. Or it was the opposite. It was like hushed whispers of like, oh, well, yeah, Jessica's gained weight. So you know, I had a really easy time losing the weight after Haley. You know, I did gain a pretty significant amount of weight with with her pregnancy, but I lost it really fast, partially because I was young, also because I was really motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I went to school, I was at a very good weight, you know, back when she was nine months old when I started college. But as I started college, it slowly crept up again. Um, and I think this was due to the fact that I was raising a child, going to school full time, working part time, you know, everything that I had worked hard to kind of combat with what I was raised around in that food addiction culture um, kind of came crashing down on me a little bit. And I found myself drinking more alcohol, grabbing cafeteria food that tasted good and it was fast. Um, and that was really tough. So I remember distinctly coming home for Christmas break and, you know, my mom commenting on my size and asking me what size I was now mm. and mentioning that you I've gained weight and I need to be careful and everything was very weight centered for me. And so in 2010 I got married and I think that was a time in my life where I was at a great weight but I never realized it. Like I never have looked at my body no matter what size I've been and said, "Wow, you look really good. You I you, I'm very happy with the way I look." I'm always criticizing it whether it's my thighs or my stomach, like even before kids, even in high school, I would always criticize myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, 
you know, periods of my life where I would starve myself in middle school and high school um, because I just wanted to be smaller and I just never had a healthy relationship with food. So that can be really tough postpartum because your body changes a lot and not everybody's body bounces back. Um, And of course, there's genetic factors to that. There's lifestyle factors to that. But ever since my wedding, you know, my weight's kind of been like a roller coaster ride. And especially after Colin and especially after Graham and moving to Austin, um, it's funny because Austin really has the best food for, you know, healthy living. And then they also have (laughs) the best food for non-healthy living like barbecue and queso. Um, So that's really tough because, you know, after the boys, I was so self-conscious, you know, of every piece of me. I still am. It's something I'm struggling really hard with right now. And it's actually something I'm also working with my doctor on um, because I don't want to do any drastic diet. You know, there are things out there that have promises of short-term fixes, but Mm -hmm. that's not going to change my mind. Mm -hmm. So I'm working on like a whole program Actually, my chiropractor is the one that introduced me to it, um, and he's wonderful. But it's basically like a way to to change your mind and your relationship with food because the truth is um, that's really the only way I think you can you can help yourself. Like you can diet and exercise, and I have, and I've mm-hmm. done really well with losing weight, but unless you change that mindset, it it comes back on. And I think as moms, we're so much more vulnerable about it, especially with social media. Because we have Instagram and we have, we see all these beautiful mommy bloggers who look perfect, like moments after giving birth. (laughs) Um, And I think so many of us are like, why isn't that me? Like, why was I not the person to look amazing when I was pregnant or postpartum? And I even have friends. So some of my best friends from Boston um, are having kids now. And that's like a big topic in our circle of conversation is postpartum bodies and feeling self-conscious about it and also comparing ourselves to the the bloggers we see on social media. Um, and again, there are so many factors that go into someone's body mm-hmm. and it's lifestyle, genetic, um, internal and how you feel. And it's just such a big picture and it's hard to pinpoint um, and compare yourself, but it's something I struggle with and I'm still working through it right now. When I love how open and honest you are about it, especially on your Instagram. So in the show notes from today's episode, I'm going to include a link there so that people can come follow you. I mean, you posted about your wedding day yes. and how you felt. And so I think I think it's very relatable and a lot of people find some like co- comfort and ins- you know inspiring moments there. Um, Thank you. Okay, so last moment. Isn't it amazing how many things we can touch upon? Like yes. human beings and mothers are so complex and there's so much to talk about. Um Let's talk about career a little bit um, Mm -hmm. because you've completely reinvented yourself. I have. And I remember, you know, in... For me, postpartum, like, I thought my life was over. I thought my career was over. Mm-hmm. Turns out that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because you had a baby doesn't mean you can't follow your dreams, go to school, you know, have a career. Yeah. So you went from being a nurse, OBGYN educator, mm-hmm. to now you're, you know, going back to your dream of being in marketing, being um, a branding guru, and becoming this amazing family photographer. I mean, you, you do more than family. So... You know, just touch upon a little bit how, you know, you can reinvent yourself in whatever stage of life you're in. Right. 
Well, one of the biggest things that I tell my daughter now that I wish someone told me is that it's okay to be an entrepreneur and want to do your own thing. Mm -hmm. She'll mention to me, you know, mom, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Nothing just sounds just right. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I say, you know what, maybe you're meant to do your own thing. Well, and there's so much pressure on these children. To choose a path. Oh, my God. Yeah. When they're in high school, it's like you need to choose which school you're going to for what you want to do for the rest of your life. I know. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's insane. Um, But for me, you know, I I know I touched upon that culture of the East Coast of kind of climbing that ladder and, Mm -hmm. you know, the pinnacle of life is obtaining your master's or doctorate and kind of Mm -hmm. killing it in that sense. And most of my friends back East are doing just that. Um, I never felt that pull, you know, once I really got into college and grad school um, and worked I just never enjoyed it the way I should. I loved what I was doing, but I didn't love the entire culture of being in the same place at the same time every mm-hmm. day. I didn't like someone dictating how many vacation days I could take and and when I could take them. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds so cliched in some ways, but it was something I couldn't wrap my head around. And it was something my friends were you know, totally fine mm-hmm. with and my husband was totally fine with, but I just wasn't. Um, yeah. Especially after having a, a child, you know, as a mom, you want to be able to plan your days around your kids and things like if they had a concert or, you know, some sort of award ceremony, you, it was really tough because I would have to beg for time off and I had to miss so much. So you really needed to create a career that worked with your lifestyle and your values and what, what you wanted. Yes. So it takes bravery. It does. Mm -hmm. And I think for us, especially one of the biggest triggers was that we don't have family around. Mm -hmm. So we don't have a support system. So it's like if someone's sick or if someone has a special moment happening, it's Mm -hmm. either myself or my husband. And Mm -hmm. we don't have, you know, I can't call my Mm mother-in-law as much as she would totally be there because she's amazing and be like, hey, can you run down to call in school? They're having an award ceremony. I'm just swamped today. It has to be us. And I always, I'm very big on making sure that one of us is present for all of those events because mm-hmm. I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it it just became this thing where we kind of, my husband and I kind of looked at each other one day as I was, you know, deep in the throes of meal prep for another week. And we were like, we are not happy. We feel like weekends are a hustle of mm-hmm. grocery shopping and meal prep and getting everything ready for the week only to do it again. Um, we were spending so much money on childcare, which I have to say our nanny was, she is the greatest person in the world. Um, but it was a big financial hole in a way. Like when we sat down and figured out how much money we would even save by, you know, making sure childcare looked a little different, maybe a part-time preschool program if I was home, it was kind of crazy to think of how much money, you know, childcare really costs, which is a whole other issue. Yeah. But long story short, you know, I always wanted to do marketing. I did fall into it. I feel like everything is kind of about being in the right place at the right time sometimes. And being a Penn grad, I had a Wharton um, business grad approach me about a startup. He saw I was a mom and he saw that I was, you know, on social media and was like, hey, do you want to run our social media? Mm-hmm. I had never done anything like that. And I was like terrified to say yes, but I faked it till I made it and said, Love that. yeah, I'll do it. Totally. I'll do it. You know, I can write. I'm a good writer. Why not? So it kind of snowballed from there. Um, and I bought a camera, you know, to take better photos for my clients because I'm always getting sent product mm-hmm. um, for collaborations. And I cannot even tell you how passionate I am about it. Like I actually, for the first time in my life, understand like being excited to wake up and do something mm-hmm. like that. I always love marketing. Um, 
and photography has been a wonderful extension of it. And I'm actually in a place of transition right now where I am going to kind of shift my business and what I'm focusing on and incorporating marketing into photography instead of vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, but photography is my greatest passion. And I, who knew? Like, mm-hmm. I can't even tell you. I would have never coined that. Like, I actually used to be like, oh, that doesn't sound like a very fun job. That sounds kind of terrible. Um, it's amazing. And I love it so much. And there's nothing I love more than seeing like a session that I've done and the natural emotions. I'm very big on lifestyle and candids and like that natural raw emotion and being able to give that to families mm-hmm. and have that moment for them frozen. Yeah. I think it's amazing. And I would like to see where I go with it. And that's kind of where I'm at at this point, um, which is totally transitional and scary, but also really exciting. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's chat with Jessica. You can find today's show notes at hellomytribe.com slash podcast. Do you have a person or subject you'd like to hear on our podcast? Please email us at hello at hellomytribe.com. Thank you so much for all of the love and support.